he lets me do what I do best, I'd be playing golf. <laughs> My name is Jeff, I'm an alcoholic. Boy, am I delighted to be here. I'm very well prepared for what I'm about to do here for the next hour. About ten minutes to four, I went in the men's room and threw up. So I'm okay. I know that my sponsor told me to come early and get a good seat, but I'm not sure that this is what he had in mind. Uh, the Maryland State Convention has always been very, very dear to me. I came to my first Maryland State Convention in 1981. That year it was in Del Mar. And I had a spiritual experience at that very first Maryland State Convention. I've been coming every year since to renew that spiritual experience. It never gets old. What we will do here this weekend, trust me, if this is your first convention, will be an ex a spiritual experience for you. This is AA in action. This is what we do other than go to meetings. This is what we do. You know, we enjoy each other's fellowship. We enjoy each other's friendship. It took me a long time to get to Alcoholics Anonymous. When I was 30 years old, I had what the third tradition calls the only requirement for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous, the desire to stop drinking. I wanted to stop drinking when I was 30 years old. And I had a lot of reasons to want to stop drinking. And all of those reasons were based on my behavior patterns, the things that, that uh, you know, the behavior that alcoholism caused, all the trouble I was getting into. And, you know, I realized at age 30 that... Uh, I was a whole lot worse than I was at 29. And somehow I sensed that if I didn't do something about it, I would probably be, better, be worse at age 31 than I was at 30. And what I was looking at without recognizing it was the progression of the disease of alcoholism. I see it clearly today, but I couldn't see it then. My mindset at age 30 was that if I could stop drinking, the trouble wouldn't happen as often. It wouldn't be as severe and maybe life would get a little bit better. And I had the answer. The answer was crystal clear. Stop drinking. What I didn't have at age 30 was the ability to make that happen. I tried. Oh my goodness, how often I tried. I can't tell you how many times I would wake up in the morning, countless number of times I would wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, Joseph, you have got to do something today so it doesn't turn out like yesterday. Now, I didn't know what I was going to do today so it wouldn't turn out like yesterday, but being an alcoholic, I realized that if I'm going to make a sensible decision here, I better take a drink first so I can do it with a clear head. <laughs> and of course, what I didn't realize was when I took that drink in the morning, that day was over for me. Alcohol had won again. And I had lost again. And that went on for years and years and years. Had you called me an alcoholic when I was 30 years old, I would have denied it. I would have admitted to you that maybe there might be an occasion or two when I drink a little bit too much. But an alcoholic? No, no, no. You couldn't call me an alcoholic. Because I knew what an alcoholic is. An alcoholic, you know, is that bum that sleeps in a doorway and drinks out of a brown paper bag. That wasn't me. I was too young. I had a job. 
I had a house, a home, a family, a car, a wristwatch. <laughs> Alcoholics don't have that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, and I went through denial for so many years. Uh, I went through denial up until the day I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. The denial was so strong. And I used to do things to hide the way I looked. Murine. I used so much murine, it showed up in my urine specimen. <laughs> but you have to do something to hide the way you look. You know, you know inside that there's, really, I knew inside that there was something seriously wrong with me. But denial wouldn't let me overcome that kind of thinking. When I was 30 years old, I started to experience some physical problems, stomach problems. So much so that my wife, my first wife, I have to tell you first wife because many of us have had more than one. My first wife insisted that I go to the doctor. And uh, she made an appointment for me, and I went to the doctor. And he made a very thorough examination, and his diagnosis was, you better stop drinking. So I went home, and my wife said, did you go to the doctor? And I said, oh, yes, I did. Well, what did he say? He told me to stop drinking. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to change doctors. That's what I'm going to do. I need another opinion for something that serious. So I did go to another doctor, and the, this doctor was my kind of doctor. He asked me what I drank, and I told him I drank gin. He said, you shouldn't drink gin. It's too volatile. You ought to switch to vodka. <laughs> my kind of doctor. But denial was a major part of what kept me away from the people in Alcoholics Anonymous for a long, long time. Uh, denial is a thing that kills alcoholics. What I know about the disease of alcoholism today, what I learned in AA, that it is a disease that if left untreated will kill me. And that's not even the bad news. The bad news is that before it kills me, it will take away everything in life that has meaning. It will take away the love from my wife, the respect from my children, every spiritual value that I ever attached to life, every Everything that used to make life worthy living, it'll take all of that away, and then it'll kill me. And that's alcoholism. I've heard alcoholism described as the total wasting of the spirit. What a powerful message that was. I didn't understand it when it was first said to me. I was a year or so sober when I heard that, but it hit me right between the eyes because it described exactly how I was, exactly how I was living, exactly how I was feeling when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, totally wasted in spirit, that zest for life that I once had was gone. Everything in life that had any meaning was gone. Every ounce of self-respect was gone. The total wasting of the spirit. And that's alcoholism. And if I could jump ahead of my story to tell you that from the day I came to Alcoholics Anonymous up into this very day, The awakening of the Spirit began, and it has continued on uninterrupted now for 24 years.
the awakening of the spirit. That's what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we take a, an irresponsible bum like me and teach him spiritual values that will give some meaning to his life. I got to Alcoholics Anonymous in a rather miraculous way. At least I think it was miraculous. By the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had become a chronic alcoholic. That's when you drink around the clock. That's when nothing else in life matters except to drink. My weight had gone down to about 118 pounds. My color was was gray. And I looked like walking death. And I got to Alcoholics Anonymous at the suggestion of a friend. A guy who I used to drink with. A guy who had gotten sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he shared a message with me that attracted me. And the attraction was that having known the kind of drunk that he was, having seen this guy lose it all, having watched him literally become an alcoholic, if this thing worked for him, maybe, maybe it might work for me. Tiny strand of hope. Now, God puts people in our lives at various points in time in our life, and we don't always understand the significance of the people that God puts in our lives as it happens to us. God put this guy in my life on two separate occasions. Once, the first time God put him in my life was when I literally saw this guy become an alcoholic. The very same, this very same type person may have been in your life, too, if you really get honest with yourself. That person to whom we compare our behavior. That person of whom we say... If I ever get as bad as him, I'll do something about it. That was the first time God put this guy in my life. I can't tell you how many times I would look at him down one end of the bar and say to the guy next to me, If I ever get as bad as him, I'll do something about it. Now, we as alcoholics can rationalize that kind of thinking. Common sense, which we're not famous for using would tell us, why wait until it gets that bad? Why don't you do something about it right now? But we can't bring that kind of thinking to any logical conclusion. But that was the first time God put him in my life. The second time God put him in my life, he was sober. He disappeared one day. He stopped coming into the bar. Nobody knew what happened to him. Really, we thought he had died. I mean, we were used to seeing him every day, drunk. And he just stopped coming in one day. He just disappeared. Nobody knew what happened to him. Well, God put him back in my life a number of years later when I am literally dying from drinking. And he had a message to share with me because he was sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Some friends of my family who knew that I was near death from drinking they knew that I had been friends with this guy that I had known this guy and that uh, he and I used to drink together and they knew that he had gotten sober and they called him one day to ask him if he thought he could help me and being a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous of course he agreed to call me And he called me up one night, 
and we renewed our friendship over the phone, and out of the clear blue, he says to me, are you having a problem with drinking? Which I thought was a rather strange question for that dude to be asking me. But somehow I answered yes. And that was significant because I had never really answered that question that way before. My mother used to say to me all the time, Joseph, why do you drink so much? Now, why do they insist on asking that question of an alcoholic? How do we answer that question? If I could have answered that question, she wouldn't have understood the answer. People who are an alcoholic don't realize, don't understand that there is no choice. That I had no choice. I had to drink. Now, I know what it's like. I've never been in jail. One of my members. But I know what it's like to be a prisoner. I know what it's like to be a prisoner to alcohol. I know what it's like to have to drink when you don't want to drink and to have to do it day after day, week after week, month after month, and in my case, for years. And the last thing in the world you want to do on any given day is take a drink and you have no choice. So people who are an alcoholic don't understand that. But I'll tell you who did understand it. The first AA member that I told that to understood exactly what I was talking about. So my friend calls me up and he asks me if I'm having a problem with drinking, and I answered yes. And he said, well, maybe I can help you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I haven't had a drink in seven years. And I said, how did you do that? He said, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, no kidding. (laughs) It got that bad. And he said, you could say that, but the people in AA took me by the hand. They taught me some simple things which showed me how to get sober, some more simple things which enabled me to stay sober, and some more simple things which showed me how to enjoy sobriety. And he said, the same thing can happen to you. Go to Alcoholics Anonymous. He couldn't take me to Alcoholics Anonymous because he was calling me long distance from North Carolina, which is where he was living. I was getting a tiny message of hope from this guy through this telephone line from 500 miles away, and the message of hope was based on the premise that having known the kind of drunk that he was, if this worked for him, maybe it would work for me. See, I had run out of things to do. I tried everything I could think of to stop drinking. I tried everything I could think of to control drinking. You know, when I was 30 years old, I had that desire to stop drinking. I was 47 years old before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I spent 17 years of my life trying to find some form of control that would work. And nothing ever worked. It always got worse. But you know, as alcoholics, we don't wreck. It got a little bit worse each day. And as alcoholics, we don't understand how it gets a little bit worse each day. You know, we take a look at ourselves after some period of time of trying to control drinking and we find that it doesn't work and we, and we say to ourselves, well, how the hell did I get this bad that fast? What happened to this control I'm trying to put into place? I couldn't understand what was so difficult about what I was trying to do here. Why couldn't I come home from work, stop on the way home from work, have two beers and get the hell out of there? I could never do that. I could never make my wife understand how it could take me 20 minutes to get to work and 7 hours to get home. (laughs) And it was always like that. 
and that's alcoholism. So my friend started uh, telling me what his, he started sharing his experience with me. You know, where I thought it was bad for him the last time I saw him, it got a whole lot worse before it got better. But then he started talking about Alcoholics Anonymous and the people in AA and the AA message and, and how much, uh, how simple it was and, uh, and, and how much it really helped him. And it seemed like with everything he shared with me, you know, the message of hope got a little bit stronger. I was able to reach that night my moment of truth, and I believe that that's what each of us has to reach before any recovery can take place, that moment of truth, that moment that we get honest with ourselves. How many times have you or I seen someone come to Alcoholics Anonymous and they say, I reach bottom, and I'm here? Well, I, in my opinion, bottom is an indefinable term. I don't know where bottom is. And the reason why I say that is, I, like you, have seen people come to Alcoholics Anonymous and say those very words. I reached bottom and I came to AA. And they stick around for a little while and they go back out and drink again. And when they come back to us, that bottom that was here is now down here somewhere. So I don't know where bottom is. I do know this. That night with my friend over the telephone, I don't even have the opportunity to look him in the eye. I was able to reach my moment of truth, and here's how it happened. As he was sharing his story with me, I interrupted him, and I said, You know, I'm not as bad as you were. And he said to me, How bad do you want to get? That became my moment of truth. It was at that moment that I became much more interested in what he had to say. It was at that moment that my recovery began. It was at that moment that I admitted to myself that I had gone down as far as I want to go. And I feebly said to him, I guess I am as bad as I want to get. He said, if you can honestly admit that to yourself. Your recovering can start right from this very moment because that's what it takes to start this whole process. You getting honest with yourself about what you are. Now the lights didn't flash and the bells didn't ring and the thunder didn't clap. But as I looked back on it, that was my moment of truth. It was at that moment that my recovery began. He said, go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Look them up in the phone book. You'll find them under A. Duh. <laughs> but I tell you what, I almost got one too many A's. But I sorted that out. And I called Alcoholics Anonymous, Northeastern Group. And a lady answered the phone, and I did what my friend said to do. I said, I want to go to an AA meeting, and I don't know where they are. And she said, well, where do you live? And I thought she might be getting a little too personal. I said, I live in Joppa Town. She said, well, there's a meeting in Joppa Town tonight. And I said, tonight? How lucky can I get, huh? You probably got one meeting a month, and I picked that day to call Alcoholics Anonymous. But you know, God is helping me to overcome an objection. I haven't even been to a meeting yet, and God is helping me to overcome an objection. 
she told me where that meeting was and then she said would you like me to send someone to pick you up and I said no thank you I didn't want that big yellow bus showing up out in front of my house with that big AA sign on the side of it no what would the neighbors think huh I'll tell you what the neighbors would have thought. They'd have helped me on the damn bus is what they would have done. <laughs> so I went to that meeting, and on the way to that meeting, the disease is making one final attempt to keep me away from you. The disease is saying something in my head like, uh, maybe you've made a tactical error in judgment here. You know, maybe you know you drink too much, but with your friends, with what your friends shared with you, maybe you put that in place and you don't need all this AA crap. You don't have to get involved with this bunch of losers, the gloom and doom society. You'll never be able to laugh again, smile again, have a good time, like I've been having a hell of a lot of fun lately. <laughs> your life is over, Joseph. That's what the disease was trying to tell me. Thank God the message of hope that my friend left me with was strong enough to overcome what the disease was trying to tell me. I went to that meeting that very first night, and each of us has had that first meeting experience when we're on the outside and we don't know what's on the inside and we're full of fear and anxiety and apprehension, and I was exactly like that. I had a little bit of an idea of what I was going to see when I opened that door. It was going to be a huge room very dark there was going to be one light bulb in the center and centered under this one light bulb was this huge round table and seated at this huge round table were 12 guys 12 old dudes whose livers had failed and they were sitting there holding hands and staying sober god damn it of course, that's not what I found. I found a room full of people that looked just like you all. Neat, clean, well-dressed, looked like you had some purpose in life. There was something about your eyes that I couldn't put my finger on, but I knew you had something I wanted. At that very first meeting, I sensed that I was going to be okay. You know, I had no proof before I came to that first meeting. All I had was the message that my friend shared with me, that tiny strand of hope. I had no proof. But I'll tell you what, that very first night, before anybody said a word, that message of hope got increased a hundredfold by the presence of those people. I could see in you exactly what my friend described to me over the telephone. You became the reality of that message of hope. So I decided, you know, I don't know how you all pegged me as a newcomer at that first meeting, but I got deluged by people. And uh, the meeting started, and there was a guy who spoke at that meeting, and after the meeting, I went over to have a few words with him. Now, you know, I didn't know who this guy was, but everybody in the room seemed to listen to him. And, uh, you know, it was my first meeting. I don't know what the hell's going on, but, but everybody seemed to listen to him. So when the meeting was over, I walked up to him and I said, well, I really want to know 
is how to get sober. How do you get sober? And he looked me right in the eye and said, don't drink. <laughs> and there was this long pause. And I'm waiting for the philosophical, ideological, analytical explanation of exactly how this is going to happen. And he's not saying anything. He did say, that's how we get sober. We don't drink one day at a time. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. He said, let me make a suggestion to you that might help you. Maybe I can help you. My friend had said that to me the night before. He said, what you have to do if you really want to get sober is to make a daily commitment to sobriety. And it's a simple commitment. And it's not a long-term commitment. Alcoholics don't like long-term commitments. But a daily commitment to sobriety. I said, what is it? He said, I'm not going to drink today. That's the daily commitment. And I laughed. I said, that'll never work. I used to do that all the time. I'm not going to drink today. What the hell kind of an answer is that? He said, well, I'm glad to hear you say that because you can make that commitment to yourself today. And if you try to keep it by yourself today, you're going to fail today just like you did in the past. Here's the difference. You must make the daily commitment to yourself. I'm not going to drink today. You must bring it to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and let these beautiful people share their strength with you so that one day at a time, you can become strong enough to keep the commitment that you've made to yourself. And that sounded so simple. And indeed, it was simple. See, I had a mindset about getting sober. I thought it was going to be the most difficult thing I ever had to do in my life. Because I had been trying for a lifetime to do it, and it never, ever got close. So my perception was the degree of difficulty in getting sober was this. Swimming the English Channel. I can't do that. Getting sober. I can't do that. Same degree of difficulty. But that was in my head. That was my perception. What I found out was that our perceptions don't always match reality. Drunk or sober. Our perceptions don't always match reality, which reminds me of a story. Elephant walking down the street. And he meets a naked man. And he looks him up and down. And the elephant says to the naked man, How do you breathe through that thing? <laughs> now, you see, the elephant's perception was such that, well, I don't think I have to explain that. <laughs> but see, that's the way our perceptions are. They don't match the reality. The reality was I found out how to get sober that very first night. Don't drink one day at a time. That's what happens when we don't drink. So I started making that daily commitment. I kept going to meetings every day. And... Uh, in those days in Hartford County, by the way, my anniversary is tomorrow. It was 24 years ago on June 25th, 1980, when I stepped into that room of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've been coming back ever since. Uh, after I've been, in those days in Hartford County, there weren't nearly as many meetings as there are today. And it seemed like every time you went to a meeting every day, you saw the same nucleus of people because that's where the action was. That's where the meeting was. That was the only show in town. 
And after I'd been going to meetings for about a week or two, a guy said to me, uh, do you have a sponsor yet? And I said, no. He said, you do now. And that's how I got my sponsor. See, I didn't get my sponsor. He got me. God put this guy in my life. Make no mistake about that. And he took me to a lot of meetings. We went to a meeting every day for a long, long time. And he taught me simple stuff like, There's an enormous difference between sobriety and recovery. An enormous difference between the two. The sobriety is what happens when we don't drink one day at a time. Recovery is what happens when we don't drink one day at a time and go through the process of change. And that's what the 12 steps are. That process of change. He said stuff to me like, you can be sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time and still not recover from the symptoms of the disease. That sobriety of and by itself would not do that for you, nor would it do it for me. That as a sober alcoholic, I had to have reasons to want to stay sober. And those reasons were all centered around the 12 steps. Because those 12 steps led me to a way of life that became more meaningful to me and is more meaningful to me than a drink ever was. It is the 12 steps that give meaning to life. It is the 12 steps that make the difference between just being sober and taking up space in an AA meeting and learning how to, to join the, you know, the spirit of life. It is the 12 steps that make the difference between just being sober and being able to participate in the mainstream of life. So he got me involved in the steps, and he took me to a lot of meetings, and he taught me things like humility in the strangest of ways, but in the most meaningful of ways. We had, an argu- we had a discussion. Uh, it was an argument is what it was. But the problem with an argument is it takes two people and I was the only one doing the arguing. And it was an issue that was very serious to me and it was so serious that I don't even remember today what it was. But it was a very serious issue for me and we debated this thing back and forth for months. Until finally I said to him one day, you know what, you're right. And he said to me, you'll get a whole lot more spiritual growth if instead of you telling me that I'm right, if you admit to me that you're wrong. Now, I thought that would be the same thing, but you see, it really isn't. We went to a meeting, I was a couple months sober, and he took me to a meeting. And it was a huge meeting on Sunday night, a couple hundred people. And we walked in and we sat down in the front row, which is where we always sat. He called that intensive care. (laughs) And we sat down in the front row and he got up and went to the bathroom. And the young lady who was the secretary of that meeting came over and asked me if I would like to chair the meeting. And I said, I can do that. And now my sponsor comes back. And I said, she asked me to chair the meeting. He said, what did you tell her? I said, I told her I would. He said, oh. I said, yeah, but now I really don't know what I'm going to say. He 
said, why don't you tell them all you know? That won't take long. <laughs> a couple months later, we're, he's chairing a meeting at Crownsville. Everybody know, here knows what Crownsville is, a mental hospital. And he's chairing the meeting, and of course I went along with him, and uh, he called on me, and I said a few words. And after the meeting, a guy came up and talked to me. And on the way home, I said, you know, a guy came up and talked to me after that meeting and said he really liked what I had to say. That I really helped him. And he said, you know, i got to remind you that you just spoke at a mental institution. <laughs> See, See, sponsors have a way of telling it like it is. But I'll tell you something. The relationship between me and my sponsor grew over the years until I can tell you what came out of that, what has come out of that relationship. Sponsorship only works when both parties work at it. We shouldn't be looking at sponsorship like buying a bottle of castor oil. We take it home and jam it in the medicine cabinet and say, I hope I never have to use that. But it's comforting to know it's there in case I need it. That will not develop into any kind of a sponsor relationship. The sponsor relationship that is meaningful is when both people work at it. And uh, that's what my sponsor became for me. You know, he shared his entire recovery experience with me one day at a time, one step at a time. He shared with me the importance of a God of, on my understanding in my life. He shared with me the importance of making amends and the importance of a fourth step and a fifth step. And he took all of the steps by the numbers and he related his experience in a way that I could understand it, in a way that I could relate to it, in a way that I could put it into place and I would receive the same kind of benefit from that that he received, and that is recovering from the symptoms of this disease. And over the years, I can tell you that my love for my sponsor is such that I love that man as much as a man can love another man. That's what happens when a sponsor relationship is worked by both parties. But sponsors... Uh, sponsors not only share the message... You know, I have been fortunate enough over the years that I've been sober to sponsor a number of people, and there are a few of them in here tonight, right now. Uh, and it isn't only the spoken word that I can share with the guys I sponsor, as my sponsor shared with me. It's the example that I can set. It's the way I live my life. I am programmed to live my life based on spiritual principles. That's what the 12 steps are all about. And I have achieved, you know, the rewards that come from living life based on spiritual principles. Now, I was a totally irresponsible bum when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I am a responsible person today. All thanks to a relationship with a higher power. My relationship with a higher power began for me on the fifth day of sobriety. I walked into a meeting and I sat down in the second row. This was before I got my sponsor. And a guy sat down alongside of me, and he pegged me as a newcomer. He said to me, how do you feel? I said, I feel terrible. He said, how long have you been sober? I said, five days. He said, what are you doing to stay sober? I said, I clench my fist and grit my teeth, and if I have to say it a thousand times a day, I'm not going to drink today. That's what I do, and it works. 
He said, sure it works, but would you like to make it a little easier? And I said, how do you do that? He said, why don't you ask God to help? Well, with as much insufferable arrogance as an alcoholic can get, I said to him, what the hell has God got to do with getting sober? Can you imagine? And like an old-timer always will, he smiled very gently and said to me, you're going to find out that God's got everything to do with getting sober. You're going to find out if you do something as simple as I'm going to suggest to you that what you're trying to do here will be made a whole lot easier with God's help than it is without. And the simple suggestion was the alcoholic's prayer, God, please help me stay sober today. It didn't get any more profound than that. That was as simple as he could have made it for me. God, please help me stay sober today. And then he said three words that changed my life. He said, you say this prayer every day and watch what happens. And as I watched what happened, I came to believe. And how did I come to believe? The way an alcoholic comes to believe. I came to believe not because you told me it had to happen by next Thursday. I came to believe because God started to prove himself to me. That's the way an alcoholic comes to believe. Things started to happen that had no logical explanation. Things that I used to call coincidence, I had to take that word out of my vocabulary. I started to understand that this was God working in my life. I started saying that simple prayer on a daily basis and in a number of days, and I don't know exactly when this happened. It's a phenomenon, I believe, that exists for us in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know anybody that can really tell precisely when this happened to them, and neither can I. I suddenly realized in a few days that the compulsion to drink was gone. I didn't want to drink anymore. And those words that that man shared with me came back to me. You know, this will be a whole lot easier with God's help than it is without. Now, that was a miracle. A miracle in my life. And I know enough about miracles to know that as good as the people in Alcoholics Anonymous are, there isn't a person in this room who has the ability to perform a miracle. So who did that leave? God proved himself to me. A whole lot easier to stay sober when the compulsion is removed than when it's eating you alive every hour of every day. So, I, you see, as I watched what happens, I started to see the proof. Things started to happen that really had no logical explanation. And this was even before I got my sponsor. So when I got my sponsor, I already had a relationship with a higher power. See, that simple prayer helped me to open up a relationship between God and me. A relationship that didn't exist prior to my coming here. Well, I had a relationship with God before I came here. It was called, let's make a deal. God, get me out of this and I won't do it again. Anybody ever say that? But now I've got a real relationship with God. And God is starting to prove himself to me. God is putting people in my life that not only share a message, but but they set an example. I became attracted to the people that I saw who came before me. I became attracted to the way they seemed to be able to live their lives. I became attracted to the quality of life that they seemed to have. And I desperately wanted that. 
And the promises that were made to me were, if you do the simple things that we suggest, you can have the same quality of life that we do. And that's what I set out to do. The steps. The best thing Bill Wilson ever did for us was the 12 steps. The smartest thing he ever did was to put numbers in front of the 12 steps. Because those numbers represent a logical progression of growth that takes place as we go from one step to the next. That's what the numbers are all about. The 12 steps are designed to help you and I recover from the, sim- from the symptoms of this disease and to put in place a way of life that will be more meaningful to us than a drink ever was. That's what the 12 steps are designed to do. Deflate the ego. Open up a relationship with a higher power. Father Joe Martin has eight words that he uses to describe what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe that fit. Get sober, seek God, clean house, help others. The 12 steps are designed around those eight words. So that simple suggestion that that guy made to me on, you know, the fifth day of sobriety helped me to open up a relationship with a higher power so that the the channel of communication so that the power could flow from God who has it all to me who had none. My task then became on a daily basis to broaden that channel and deepen that channel of communication so that I could continue to derive the benefits that God was going to share with me, that God was going to give to me. And the way I was able to clear that channel, it was blocked with old ideas and old behavior patterns and character defects and guilt and shame and remorse, and that's what blocked the sunlight of the Spirit in that channel of communication between me and God. And one step at a time, I was able to remove those obstacles with God's help and to clear that channel of communication so the message was loud and clear. If I had to point to one single factor in all of the things that I've learned in the years that I have been sober, the single most important factor to me would be the relationship with a higher power. I believe that that is the square root of everything we learn in Alcoholics Anonymous. The big book will tell us that, not in so many words. But it will tell us the importance of the steps. As some of these we bought. Chapter 5. I did a lot of that. But my sponsor was patient enough with me to understand that, uh, that he could help me to clear away these obstacles that I was putting in my way. And he helped me uh, tremendously to do that. He, uh, as one step became another step, as I went through the series of the steps from 1 through 12, every time I went from one step to the next, let me tell you what happened. I became just a little bit more honest, a little bit more willing, a little bit more open-minded, a little bit more aware, a little bit more God-conscious, a little bit more kind, a little bit more gentle, a little bit more sensitive to the needs and feelings of others, a little bit more patient, 
a little bit more tolerant, a little bit more humble, a little bit more grateful, and all of those little bit more pieces started to make up the way of life that became more meaningful to me than a drink ever was. You see, that's the advantage that we have, that we give to the new person. That message of hope, that message of exactly what happened to us and to try to make them understand that the same thing can happen to you. That's what my sponsor did for me. There are more reasons for me to stay sober than there ever were excuses for me to drink. And the guys that I sponsor, I tell them all the same thing. If you think you've got a good enough reason to drink, you call me up and tell me what the reason is. And if I think it's a good enough reason, I'll come out and take a drink with you. And you know why I can say that. There are a million excuses and not one reason to take a drink. But you see, that's what we're programmed to do, and that's what we're programmed to learn in Alcoholics Anonymous. My life is full today beyond anything I would have imagined in the beginning. There is, there is no limit to the amount of spiritual growth that we can experience as a result of the 12 steps. The only limit is the one we put on ourselves. If we're going to stop at the third step, I'll tell you what our spiritual experience will be. It will be a three-step spiritual experience. You want the full measure, you've got to go through all 12 one day at a time. And when you get that full measure of the spiritual experience, you will want to share that with another person. You know, I can understand today why my sponsor was so interested in me in the beginning. Because he had an obligation to himself and to Alcoholics Anonymous and a responsibility to himself to share the message. That's the way he kept what he had. That's the way we all keep what we have. Love, unconditional love. That's what one alcoholic gives to another. But we have to learn to give it away. There's an old line from a Broadway play. A bell is not a bell until you ring it. A song is not a song until you sing it. The love that's in your heart will surely stay. Because love is not love until you give it away. And that's what we learn how to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. Share that unconditional love with another person. Knowing in the beginning that's difficult for the newcomer to understand. But there is more help here than, than any one person could imagine. Uh, I've been sober for a long time now. And I still do the same things today that I did in the beginning. Primarily because they work. I believe that Alcoholics Anonymous works for each and every one of us, no matter how old we are or how young we are, no matter how rich or how poor, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, primarily because of its basic simplicity. Don't drink. Recognize that by yourself, you can't do that, but with the help of other people, you'll be able to stay away from a drink one day at a time. See, that was the message that guy gave me in the beginning. You know, by yourself, you won't be able to keep that commitment, but with other people, you will be able to keep it, with the help of other people. I would like to tell you that maybe I could uh, stay sober without people today, but that wouldn't be true. 
I need every person I meet in Alcoholics Anonymous to help me keep that basic commitment that I've made to myself. You see, I go through life one day at a time today, still making the same two commitments that I made in the beginning. One is the commitment to sobriety. I'm not going to drink today. That's a 24-year-old commitment now, and it still works. And the other is the commitment, daily commitment, to the spiritual way of life. Now, that means nothing more than my participation in the 12 steps as the way I try to live my life on a daily basis. That's what has made the difference for me. That's what took me from being that irresponsible bum to a responsible person today. Responsible to myself, responsible to my family, responsible to Alcoholics Anonymous and to the people that I sponsor. What a total difference that is than the person who staggered into these rooms 24 years ago. But there's nothing unique about me in Alcoholics Anonymous. AA is full of people like me who have come here at the moment in their life of darkest despair and experienced the exact same thing that I I experienced, that our moment of darkest despair becomes God's moment of golden opportunity. And God started to put people in my life. People that made a difference in my life. People that I wanted to emulate. I remember my sponsor in early sobriety came to a meeting one day with a bow tie on. I went out and bought three bow ties. I wanted to be exactly like him. And then I realized it's going to take more than a bow tie to to get what he had. But but his patience with me is such that uh, it, it took root. And it enabled me... Uh, not only to stay sober one day at a time, but to really understand the full meaning of what this program has to offer. The way of life that I that each of us can live today based on the principles in the 12 steps is beyond anything that we could have ever imagined. The friendships that we make in Alcoholics Anonymous are way beyond any friendships that we have ever experienced prior to coming here. The friendships that I've made in Alcoholics Anonymous are meaningful, long-lasting relationships. And do you know why? Because they are born out of a common bond and nurtured by spiritual principles. That's why the friendships that we make in AA are so meaningful and so long-lasting. It is the spiritual principles that tie us together. That's that common bond that we have. And there isn't a single person in this room that could do it without the help of others. So if you knew, the message, if you want to get sober, is as simple as don't drink. Followed up almost immediately by opening a relationship with a higher power. Coming to meetings, meetings for an alcoholic are a life support system. If you've ever seen someone hooked up to a life support system, you know what I'm talking about. You know, the line goes up and down. It is that system that sustains life for that person that's hooked up to it. But what happens if you pull that plug on that person's life support system? The line goes flat, the patient dies. That's what happens to an alcoholic who stops going to meetings. 
they pulled the plug on their own life support system. Those of us who have been around here for a while have seen it countless times. Pull the plug on their life support system. Once the plug is in, you know, it's a simple matter, really. Nothing overwhelming about anything we do to sustain life, to make life worth living, to, in, to get the maximum out of what life has to offer. I came here at the moment of my life of darkest despair, and one day at a time, I have been able to experience all of the joy of living that was promised to me in the beginning. And it's because I take my disease as serious today as I did in the beginning. What I know about alcoholism is that if left untreated, it will kill me. What I know about alcoholism is that the simplicity by which I can treat that disease is to keep showing up at meetings, to keep doing simple things like saying my morning prayers, to keep that relationship with a higher power in, in the number one priority in my life. Because out of that relationship has come all of the things that I needed in order to do what this program would demand of me. They call them suggestions. Well, I would hope that it goes for you as it did for me beyond just a, just a suggestion. These are things that I need to do. These are things that I must do in order to maintain the level of inner peace and patience and tolerance and serenity that has been given to me. God bestowed his grace on me on June 25th, 1980. And I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize what was happening to me, nor did I realize what was going to happen to me. Nor did, as I, did I recognize it as God's grace. How many times have you heard people like me stand up at a place, at a meeting, and say, I am sober today through the grace of God? Well, indeed, I believe that. But let me tell you what I think that means. I know what it means to me. The grace of God for an alcoholic is when we become willing, open-minded, and honest. The three ingredients that the big book describes as being indispensable to recovery. Those are the gifts that God gives us. None of us come here with those three things in place and we have, and God gives us that gift and then he throws the ball right back in our court. And he says to us, I'm giving you this gift, now what are you going to do with it? Thank God I was able to answer that call. Thank God, with the help of people in AA, I found out how to put those things in place. How to use those gifts that God gave me. God has given me an ability to share a step message with a new person in simple language that that person can understand. And I have to use that gift. I can't be like the guy in the Bible that took his talent out in the field and buried it. God gave me the gift of sobriety. My gift to God is what I do with it. I'm going to tell you my favorite golf story. I play a lot of golf. And a number of years ago, I was playing a course up in Northeast called Brentwood with a guy that I sponsor. 
And the 16th hole is at Brantwood is a par 3, about 158 yards over water. Tree on the left, green on the right. And Tommy teed the ball up, and he hit it into the tree, and it went in the water. And I teed the ball up, and I hit it into the same tree, and it bounced to the right on the green, that far from the pin. He said, I don't understand this. I hit it in a tree, it's in the water. You hit the same tree, you're on the green, that far from the pin. I looked him right in the eye and said, don't drink and go to meetings. And the same good stuff might happen to you. And then I missed the putt. Two or three basics that worked for me in the beginning, they still work for me today, and they are so simple, let me share them with you. And I don't care if you've been sober three days, three months, three years, or 30 years, the same three basics apply to every person in this room. And the three basics are this. Don't take a drink today. Go to a meeting today. Ask God to help today. If you do those three things one day at a time, here's what's going to happen. If you don't take a drink today, you're going to get sober and you're going to stay sober. If you go to a meeting today, you're going to hear the message. If you ask God to help today, you're going to start to understand the message. God bless you all.